For so very long, it's been... Go on, George. Tell how it's gonna be. But in the end, the commission only said... We figured it 17 different ways. And every time we figured it, it was no good. Because no matter how we figured it... But no matter how you figure it out, I still don't get as much as anybody else. Somebody don't like the way we figured it. So now, there's only one way to figure it. And that is every man for himself. When this is the end. It's the end of the world. It's the end of the world as we know it. Or is it now? As a new year hits, through it all, Beaver Nation moves ahead with resiliency and hope. Sun's up, mm hmm. Looks okay. The world survives into another day. And the way forward goes through, as it must, The Joe Beaver Show with John Warren and Mike Parker. The number of times I heard these guys' voices over and over and over. Still can't find it. Ah, can't find it? We can help. This here is 1240. 1240. It's always been 1240. My client says it's 1240. Yeah, plus 93.7 FM and streaming live at KEJOAM.com and on the KEJO app. It's the Joe Beaver Show. Yes, it is. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, and welcome to the program uh, for this uh, Wednesday, January 3rd. I'm John Warren. Across from me is T.J. Matthewson. Uh, good morning, T.J. Good morning. Good to be on. It's been uh, it's been a little while. It has been a little while. At least um, on this show. Tailgate shows not. <clears throat> yeah, that's true. In fact, just last Friday... I was sitting right here conducting that tailgate show with all the excitement in the world. An expectation of being an underdog, but not an expectation of, uh, of getting beat like that. And it was very disappointing. Yeah, there, there was some excitement. Um, but was it to the level you thought it was? What? The, ex- the, the excitement, because I, the, all I hear now is how unexciting... Like bowl games are. Oh, I, I see where you're going with this. Right. So we, we it, talked it, about this before. Not, I, it's not even a lead-in. Yeah. I mean, I'm just going off your point there. But, you no, know, but I always do love... It is a lead-in because this is kind uh, of what we want to talk about. I will just say I, I do love bowl game days. So there is obviously plenty of excitement and plenty yeah. of caffeine to help out with yeah. that, too. So no, no, it's I, good. I love it. In fact, I, I heard uh, Petros this morning, and I didn't agree with him. And I was I was thinking, what what are you talking about? He was on, of course, every Wednesday with uh, two pros and a cup of Joe, whatever the show is, on, on Fox. And, and Petro's old school guy, Pac-12 guy, for the most part, West Coast. He does uh, Mountain West games now. Uh, says that he loved the Bulls, that nothing was changed. Really? Nothing was different. All the Bulls were great. And uh, the kids are there to play. I mean, all <laughs> these things that we said maybe three, four years ago that – we can't really say anymore because of things have changed. But I think this year is the first year. Last year there was some. This year there was tons of opt-outs. Um, I think this year was the biggest as we see this this big giant ball of momentum going. Uh-huh. And and there was just so many opt-outs this year. Um, so I was a little surprised by him saying that because uh, he and I are kind of on the same wavelength, and I've always said for years on this show, and this year's this show is about 20 years old, how much I love the bowl games. I, I try to watch as many of the small bowl games as I can, that the, the, the bases themselves, the schools, the parents, the, 
The fans are into it. Mm-hmm. Not enough that they don't have enough numbers to fill big stadiums as we saw in the Fiesta Bowl. Did you see that? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It looked like Cardinals game. You couldn't. I, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I just thought, wow, because it's a January six game, and even when it's not uh, yeah. a semifinal or the final, it's always been packed in there. But there was a lot of open seats. It doesn't it doesn't help one of the schools is very a very small right. school. I thought right. the I thought the Ducks showed out enough, and usually the rest of those seats are filled by fans who just kind of want to watch the football game. But when the game doesn't mean anything, right. and everyone's like, okay, it's New Year's Day, uh, maybe I spent last night out, and I would like to instead sit on my couch and eat my breakfast in peace instead of trying to get to a nine a.m. West Coast kickoff for a fiesta bowl again in the grand scheme of things that doesn't doesn't really matter all that much but there there were too many empty seats for what should be a marquee game yeah too many empty seats here's a idea that i that i've seen thrown out there that uh, they should play the bowl games on campus let's give the lay of the land and then we'll jump into this here's here's the lay of the land for today's show coming up at 11 30 chris pendleton will join us oregon state wrestling coach will join us as we break down and get ready for one of the biggest matches in Oregon State home history, really, or at least in a long time, as number one ranked Penn State will be at Gill Coliseum this Friday night. This Friday night, huge event at Gill Coliseum. Both the men and the women in basketball are on the road. They do have games. The women will play this this Friday night. The men play Thursday, Saturday. The women on Friday and Sunday. But wrestling, and get your tickets now. They want to fill the place. I think it'll hold 9,500 mm-hmm. for uh, for wrestling. Yeah, Chris said he's going for 9,000. So if they can get 9,000, that would be tremendous. He says they're halfway there, but that was a couple of days ago in, in a conversation with Kerry Eggers. Um, so we'll find out more about, about that meet and, and the wrestling team and what they've done so far this year. Some great numbers. They're ranked 12th in the country. So a 1-12 matchup. In wrestling at Gill Coliseum this Friday night, Chris Pendleton joins us here in about 19 minutes at 11:30, and then at 12:05 we'll wrap things up. We got this idea yesterday from a texter or from the conversation Mike and I were having was, what's left? Is there anything still to talk about when it comes to litigation? The Pac-2, actually, there is quite a bit. I talked with Alan Thayer yesterday uh, on the on my drive home, on, and I'm just sitting in my driveway in the car for 20 minutes, and we're just going over a bunch of things. Um, not, not riveting type of like, oh my gosh, we're waiting on anything, but there's a few things that, that uh, there are to talk about to kind of close up that whole idea. He was joking. He said, you know, I, I, my daughter went back and counted up the number of times I've been on the show. He, he was thinking five or six, which I would, I would have guessed as well. Alan Thayer, of course, uh, a lawyer. And let me read this, make sure I read this right. So I get it right. Innovative law group specializing in business law in Eugene. And he says he, he counted up 12 times. Wow. I know. We've had him on 12 times See, on this program. I always cut up all the interviews, yeah. or at least cut the whole interview out. I don't think I got up to 12. That's that's credit to a thorough job yeah. of... Well, any time we needed him, we called him and he came on. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of the whole thing. But it wasn't overkill. We needed to hear from Alan mm-hmm. on at certain steps along the way because it was so crucial as to whether or not Oregon State and Washington State would come out on top. They made an agreement. We don't know exactly what's in that agreement. 
We can talk about the process of the, all of that with Alan coming up at 12.05 today. So those are our two guests and then topics. So now we can get into uh, what you just kind of teased us with. But I, I, based on what you just mm-hmm. said, you, you helped me prompt with a, a, a question that, that can maybe boil things down. Uh-huh. Now, maybe boiling things down in talk radio is not a good thing because you need to fill time. But I'm not really a fill-time guy. If it's good, I want to talk about it. If we get through it, we'll move on to the next thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But my personality is is always street learning, not book learning. And it's like, okay, well, what does that mean? What does it mean? Boiling everything down to, well, you either this or that. And almost every problem, every solution, everything in life can be boiled down to, mm-hmm. well, you either this or you're that. That's pretty much all there is to it, right? So I'm about to perhaps boil things down on this conversation with you and we want to involve our listeners of Mm -hmm. course our university honda phone line the downward dog uh uh, who was it phone line and the university honda text line 541-497-5356 chris pendleton at 11 30 you you mentioned that games that don't have meaning that that prompts me to want to ask you do you feel that way do you feel that anything that's not part of the final four a, a bowl game that has no meaning? Uh, yeah. So, l- l- to answer that shortly, yes, but hear me out. Oh, I'm not going to jump on you. Uh, Don't l- worry. Hear me out. Yeah. Think of when I have grown up. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been a, a national championship the entire time. Yeah, the BCS. A, a BCS. As yeah. soon as, when, when I was born, the BCS was born as well. Yeah. In, what, 1998? That was the first year of it, mm-hmm. right? So, ever since then, there was a game to decide a national championship. And that's what teams were playing for. They're not playing for anything else. Remind me of, of what the old BCS was. Two chosen teams that it would was, actually play for. Yeah, it, it was two two chosen teams. Rather that than would because prior to that, for a hundred years, I think it was I think thirty years actually. I saw this number yesterday, but yes, you're right. Well, when they start naming national champions. Yeah, yeah. What I understand, right? Okay, it always Sorry. was Go in '76 or whatever it was. Go ahead. The AP poll, and at the end of the year, um, they wouldn't necessarily play each other. No. But at the end of the year, when all the bowl games are played, especially the New Year's Bowls, which were always traditionally orange, sugar, rose, uh, probably peach, rose, and then peach and cotton. citrus. and Oh, cotton. Yeah, cotton. When the bowl games were all played, then the, within the next day or two, the AP would come out with its AP national champion. Mm-hmm. And then and then it started to become, well, there's a coach's poll now. Mm-hmm. Now, I, it probably happened before this, but... My first memory of any kind of an issue was uh, 91. Were there two polls in 91? The UP poll, the UPI poll, caused some problems. I know Washington and Miami both claimed championships in 91. And the Huskies still claim it. And I don't remember if that was a a two-poll claim or if that was a one-poll claim. I don't remember that. Um, I remember those two schools. But I do remember 2003, LSU and USC, and that was a coaches poll and an AP poll. And one of the two, and I don't remember the order, won the coaches poll. The other team won the AP poll. I think it was the coaches poll and the crystal ball Mm. went to LSU. And I think the AP poll went to USC. And because of the tradition of the name AP champions, I think USC claimed it. Both schools claimed it, just like Miami and Washington. USC and LSU claimed it, but the thing about it back then 
was even though they both claimed it, it mm-hmm. wasn't a big deal. I remember seeing that there was no rhetoric from either side. They never fought about it. They didn't argue about it. They didn't care. Then one side never said, USC never had marketing material that said, we're the true champions. LSU's not. They just said, we are the AP national champions because that's what it was, right. assuming that's what the way it went. Um, and yeah, then the other I'm side, looking. LSU... Assuming it was again, I don't remember the order. They their marketing material, their their recruiting stuff just said coaches pull national champions or or maybe just national champions. And no one really cared at that point. And then the BCS uh well the BCS was still going. Who was it? It must have been BCS poll versus versus AP. That's what it was. BCS poll versus uh AP. But the 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 point being that when when USC and LSU shared that 2003 national championship from whatever they wanted to call it, nobody really cared. There wasn't a pushback against it. It was just, we're going forward calling ourselves mm-hmm. this. Which is interesting because in in this current climate, there I don't think it would be, with the amount of marketing materials that we have available to us and the amount of digital platforms to promote this kind of stuff, I mean, it would be a fight to the tooth to, to to claim. I mean, just remember in 2017 when UCF went undefeated in their regular season and they yeah. beat Auburn in their bowl game. It's like, what else do you want us to do? Right. Like, we went and we beat a, we beat a Power 5 team in a big bowl game. We went undefeated throughout I, our I season. Th- I think they claimed the and then they did, they, champions. Now, it's not recognized. The NCAA does not right. recognize them, and neither does Alabama, who actually won the national championship that year. But like that's a that's a more current example. And speaking of marketing, they put out an enormous marketing campaign for that. But so here's the thing: I think it's a change of perspective mm-hmm. from how the games currently are nowadays. And back to all the way when we're talking about the '90s, when the national champion was chosen after all the games are already played. So for however long you're playing the games, the games always matter because you're trying to make an impression, especially like you said in the New Year's Six games, because you wanted to win your New Year's Six game if you were a top 10 team. What if you blew out the number three team in the country? Well, you, the AP might be like, hmm, you might be a national champion. You, uh, you no, might be- actually, it was one or two, one and two. Whoever is maybe the thir- third spot, mm-hmm. it mattered for them. It, but the others who were playing in those New Year's Six bowl games, they knew they weren't going to be national champions. But there was not a... so. They might have knew it because of the past voting, but there wasn't a different set of games that was going to determine the national championship outside of them. They right. were playing in right. the championship bracket, quote unquote, because they were in the New Year's Six, which was well, except a, they weren't dubbed New Year's Six. It was just you get to play on New just Year's. The big That's goal. a big deal. Okay, yes, okay, yeah. you're you're right. So before the before the naming of it either, right. but um. I think a, a really good, another really good point I said, and, and I think I floated the idea of campus out there earlier in the show, mm-hmm. but let me just make it more simple. What's like the, the one New Year's Six game that has kept all of its luster and lore is the Rose Bowl. Sure. Hasn't changed venues, hasn't changed traditions, hasn't changed start time, nothing. Exact same. All the other New Year's Six Bowls have changed venues, changed start times, have changed Except all for sugar. of... 
The sugar's always oh, been in, in the New Superdome. Orleans, yeah. In the Superdome? Okay. Yeah. Okay, so that hasn't changed. <clears throat> maybe maybe historically it was somewhere else before the Superdome was built in the 70s. But, but it, it comes to the point where NFL stadiums, like, they don't really have luster because they don't need it, right? And, and, and NFL stadium, like the Peach Bowl, for example, now is at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium Oh, in the Atlanta. Sun Bowl hasn't changed in 100 years. In, yeah. In 90 years. Yeah. And, and so that still has some luster in theory. Okay, so let me use the big example. Let's yeah. say the Cotton Bowl. Mm-hmm. Cotton Bowl used to be played at. The, the Cotton the Bowl. The state fairgrounds yes. of Texas. At the Cotton Bowl. Would that be not be a more college football environment Absolutely. than it would be playing at Jerry's World? Where yes, half in fact, the when, they moved it, when they moved it to Jerry's World, it was kind of like, uh, it was a gut punch to tradition. Yeah. Not too much complaining, but it was like, oh, oh that's too bad. In fact, there, it moved under the guise uh-huh. of them tearing down the stadium, which they never did, and mm-hmm. then they made a new bowl game. Yeah. Did they have a bowl game there this year? They have for the last 10 years. Since, the Texas since Bowl? Since they moved it. Yeah, I can't remember. I didn't get a chance to see hardly any of the bowl games this year. Which, But I, they, they kept it. They made a new bowl game inside the Cotton Bowl, and they never they never raised the Cotton Bowl like they said they were going to. If they still played the Cotton Bowl at that stadium and kept all their traditions, I guarantee you that game would mean a lot more than it does right now because— I agree. Like, who cares? It's like the—so the, the Fiesta Bowl used to be played at Sun Devil Stadium, right? right? Yeah. Right. Uh, I don't— off the top of my head, don't remember exactly how much tradition was there with that bowl game, but still uh, moving was... it moving it off campus to the environment we saw this weekend. Like unless it's a playoff game, I don't know though because I've gotten used to the Fiesta Bowl being in Glendale at that stadium with a packed a packed house. I think the only thing that kind of rattled me was not seeing it full. Yeah, well, there's a lot of seats to fill. But yeah, but they've always had a sellout. Uh, yeah, that's that's true. This was the first year, and I think it's because, well, first of all, Liberty. Mm-hmm. I mean, Liberty is not really, whether or not they bring anybody. It's not about how the schools bring anybody. It's how the locals come out. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Liberty moved the needle for enough people. It was kind of the, the group of five choice because a group of five gets yeah. to get in. And Oregon got stuck with them, and that's why Beaver fan rejoiced. It's like after the Civil War, ah, you got Liberty. Yeah. You know, no disrespect to Liberty. By the way, their starting quarterback just entered the transfer portal. But um, yeah, they they it was. I think it was just the matchup, and and the fact that it wasn't part of the semifinals. But it's in right. the rotation, and uh, I think that what I saw getting hammered the most is that. I think people were hating the idea of them playing in NFL stadiums, period. Didn't matter if it was a New Year's Six. Didn't matter if it was a different bowl game. I think people were saying, hey, listen, playing these games in NFL stadiums is just killing the environment. I mean, it's too big, too sterile, too corporate for a... Uh, for something that should be a college football game. Which, it doesn't feel like a college football game. Like, the best version of college football games is Oregon, Oregon State, and the Civil War being played right over there yeah. at Research Stadium yeah. in a close, tight-knit stadium with tailgating, fans on top of each other, everyone close, the community close, college town, et cetera, et cetera, and you lose all of that. Now, if you go, so, if you go up to, say they go, all right, we're going to go play at CenturyLink Field. We're going to go play at Lumen Field. Right, right. Where's all the luster? Where'd it go? I, I agree it's with gone. you. I agree with you 100%. We never agree. I agree with you. But now you're, now you're taking us down the road of something I brought up years ago and got laughed at. And that is, you know, they used to do this at the smaller venues, like the Independence Bowl, uh, the Arizona Bowl in Tucson. The, the, I, I remember saying on this show, bowls don't... There was a time when they did, and then the, a time when they transitioned to not caring anymore. 
and that is to doll it up, make it look like you're, it's a special event, and meaning paint the end zones like the teams that are participating, put a logo at center, at center field, at midfield, that represents the bowl game, and make it a, a, an event on TV mm-hmm. that, that for the TV viewers... It's more than just a regular football game. And it's like, oh, no one cares about that because I was talking about the little things, the very little things that can make it special. And some of the, the, the venues that have grass, first of all, so it's easy to paint, you, you know, and it's harder to deal with on turf and these kinds of things. I will say, I checked in on virtually all the bowls, and there was only about three, two or three that I can remember. Uh, the Fiesta Bowl was one of them, but again, they have grass, they can do this, where they literally did paint the field, the mm-hmm. end zones. And I think, didn't the Sun Bowl have that? I think they did. The Sun Bowl had, yeah, they painted it. had a yep. Oregon State yep. in one end and then, and then uh, yeah, they Notre did. Dame in the other. And I appreciate that because it's an effort by the bowl to make it more than just the bowl game. And you're talking about the NFL venues where they have the games in those or other venues where they just they don't do anything. No. It's just like it's another game at a venue. And, and so, yeah, it started back when they went away from that and now it's gotten even worse to where mm. it's at a venue. It's like, okay, here, play the game. That's why I like the Sun Bowl. Now, it was disappointing getting into that bowl game because we wanted to go to the Holiday Bowl. It was perhaps a last shot at it, given the, the circumstances for the near future. And the Beavers had never been there and all of that. And yeah. we've been twice already in the last 20 years to the Sun Bowl. I get all of that. I was there. I was, I was there with the disappointment. But I'll tell you what. Prior to the game last Friday, on game day, I was really excited because I know I've been to the Sun Bowl. I know that locally they do a great job. The Notre Dame name had that place filled, and they dollied up the field. They did everything right. They do everything right with the events. The players go and have different, uh, uh, you know, they go to hospitals, and they go to, like, steak eatouts and stuff like that. I don't know what other bowls do, stuff like that. Um, some do. They talk about it. Some don't do anything at all. And Oregon State players that we we got audio from talked about things that they visited and did a lot of different things. The Sun Bowl does it right. So moving forward, if there's an opportunity to go, probably shouldn't be too disappointed because it's a really good bowl game. You got to play better and you got to show up and all that. But and leading into that, and we're going to take a break. One last thing I want to leave you with, and we will continue this conversation when we don't have. Uh, discussions. We're going to talk with Chris Pendleton coming up next after the break about wrestling and then Alan Thayer at 12.05. But the rest of the two hours is yours to text in and, and, and call in on these topics and we'll introduce maybe some more topics. But um, not to be petty, not to be anything other than an, a, 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 a something that I noticed. See, in this business, we, Mike and I and others, we, we just notice things. It's like, huh, that's different. And so I like to introduce those on the air to see if anybody uh, noticed that. I've noticed before, I've noticed before that Fox Games, uh, in the past, I don't think there's been any this year that I've noticed it, the mix on the audio is too much. You can barely hear the announcers. Sometimes it's Gus Johnson, whoever it is. They bring in crowd noise that overwhelms the two broadcasters. Then And that's just one thing I've talked about before. But did you notice that you can hardly hear it? I even texted at Fox Sports one time. Just, to, can you turn it down? Because you really can't. It's really weird. But it's been a year or two, and I haven't noticed it. Yeah, no big deal. So I'm watching the bowl game, 
And is it, was it me? Text in. I want to know. Was it just me? Probably was. But we got the A team for CBS. It was the only bowl that they were doing. Gary Danielson and uh, Brad, Nessler. Brad Nessler, the A team. I thought the sideline gal was tremendous. She had a lot of good information. Uh, the production of it was, I thought, was good. The camera shot, everything they did was top of the line, except for one thing. They had the crowd mic so low, it sounded like the two guys were were broadcasting in a closet, and you could barely hear any excitement from the game from a TV viewership. Did anybody else notice that? And I know it's weird. I'm not complaining at all. I'm just saying that uh, that was kind of weird. Hmm. That to be that professional and that of a big of a deal, and it was like, man, you can barely hear outside their booth. And as they're talking, especially if you aren't really paying attention to the TV, maybe you get up to go in the kitchen, whatever. It's just them talking and hardly any sound. And uh, I just thought it was strange on the mix. And you know, there are jobs for people to do. There's a guy on a board running the mix, and it can be wrong. It can be, but a lot of people don't think of that. And things just kind of come and go. Never even thought about it. Somebody like me brings it up and you go, "Eh, yeah, I guess so. Or no, you're crazy. One of the two, but I noticed that. I I don't think I noticed that. I, I I, yeah, I, not something I picked up on, but I'm I'm glad you're, you're listening to it. I'm glad you're hearing it. (laughs) It's just one of those weird things. It's like, uh, you could turn that up, you know. It, it, we can hear some. Ex- I like to hear some excitement I'll, from outside. I'll, I'll say if they if they manage to have the crowd noise loud enough where you can't hear Gus Johnson. Yes, there's a problem. Fox does that. Might be a little. They loud. leave it too hot. Might Way be a little too loud. hot. All right, it's eleven thirty. We got a break. When we uh, do, we'll get Chris Pendleton on the line and talk some uh, wrestling. Beaver wrestling team this year is having a tremendous year. Read Kerry Ager's article about it. He breaks it down and he breaks down every wrestler on the team how important they are, what they've accomplished, where they come from. There's a lot of Oregonians on this team. And uh, they've got number one Penn State coming to town in just two days. So there's excitement in the wintertime at Gill Coliseum, and it's not always about basketball. So Chris Pendleton joining us next. Alan Thayer at 12.05. we got a busy show for you today here on 1240 Joe Radio. Back on the Joe Beaver Show, TJ Mathewson alongside John Warren. We are efforting... Chris Pendleton, head wrestling coach of Oregon State University. The Beavers taking on Penn State, number one Penn State, at, uh, at on Friday at 5 o'clock at Gill Coliseum. Fun fact, I will be doing PA for that match. <laughs> I wish I was there. I wish I was home. I have to go to a funeral Friday down in uh, Marshfield, where Travis Whitlake is from. So I would be there. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's some pressure there. Good, have fun. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. The the problem is, <laughs> we we'll, we'll we find told, out. I'm going to get we there. Told that Coach Pendleton needed a little extra time. So. Yeah, yeah, which which is fine. And we're we're yeah. coordinating right now. We're trying to get a wrestler on now at 12:30 as well. Yeah. Uh, like, I'm just not as familiar with collegiate wrestling, especially the 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 points. And I and I know. Yeah. This is a big. This is a, this is big. I got a lot of pressure. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge for two reasons. One, learning the sport, and. I mean, if they can give you a script, that'd be great. Or have someone sit next to you say, okay, now say this. Yeah. Introduce this play. You I'm can sure do I'll that. get it. You can do that. I'm sure I'll get it. Um, but they also uh, just just be really excited, Here. be really animated and really dramatic because that's what it is. Yeah, I've done PA for soccer. Uh, it is going to be a different animal. Oh, a yeah. different animal. Oh, yeah. A very different yeah. animal. Yeah. 
like, hello, everybody. I mean, you got, you got to really, really get into it. I'm, I'm, should I have an energy drink before? Oh, yeah. I, I, you should have a, well, I won't say to have a couple because I don't want you to have a heart attack. No, yes, just one. We'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll go with one. I need to be, I need to be juiced up. I'm very much looking forward to it, though. I mean, I, I love the excuse to get really energized about things. We try and get energized on the show. And yeah. so we go through two hours. Yeah. We bring our own energy and have good conversation throughout the show. That's why, despite the business being what it is, you and I like doing play-by-play when we can. Yeah. Yeah. Because the energy is unmatched it's, when you get to do that. You are, you are into it. You're into it. And PA is the same thing, especially for something like this, which makes me very, very excited. I'm very much looking forward to it. And there's no pressure because there's only going to be 9,000 people plus there at Gill Coliseum on Friday to, uh, to listen to me talk. So. I'd say it's a good start. Oh, you're going to have a great time. I, I think I so, can't too. wait to see how it goes. Let's go to the phones real quick. Paul has called in, and I'm going to keep this short, Paul, because I need to call uh, call Coach back. But go ahead, Paul. Right, yeah. Hey, uh, about Brad Nessler on that broadcast, mm-hmm. he was absolutely terrible. He made several mistakes that Danielson had to correct him on on the line of scrimmage. He was always five yards off where the ball was. Yeah, I noticed that. I, the first one, he said they were at the six or the the two, but they were actually at the at the eight. I did notice that, and I know we. It's still the A team, and he made a few mistakes. But you'd think that, uh, production wise, you'd think that hey, you've only got one bowl game a year. We should get it right now, right Gary, or wrong. Gary, I, Gary Danielson, yeah, Gary Danielson is is tremendous. But there was one texter, Doug, who wrote in and agreed with me. He said, "Yeah, I, I told you last year about the production value. It's like." Everyone has a job, and there's a lot of jobs to do to make these things go. Like TJ was just talking, he'll have PA. That's a job. That's a profession. That's a skill. Well, it's a skill to be in the truck outside the stadium and be the guy on the soundboard. And it's a skill to be the, pr- right. the producer standing behind him, and they all have headphones on. some point, someone's got to say, hey, we need a little more audio, a little more crowd audio. And uh, they just never did, unless I'm really sensitive to that stuff. But I... I I think we all know it when you hear it, and it's just like, wow, well, they sound like they're in the closet. But you're right, Paul. There was a couple of times when he got some things wrong. And you know what? I was shocked. Did you notice this? I know you did. When, who was it? Uh, I can't even remember the name of our punter. They still had the graphic Josh Green up, and he he didn't know. Uh, Nessler didn't know at the time. He hadn't been given information or didn't know that Green had entered into the transfer portal. And we were using a guy that had never punted before. I'm assuming, and I'm, I'm sure I'm assuming correctly, that it was his first collegiate punt ever. Mm-hmm. And he didn't even mention that. He didn't even say, well, that's his very first. Because it was a great kick. The very first punt of the game for the Beavers was a great punt. But it wasn't Josh Green. And Nestler was unaware of that one, too, Paul. Oh, yeah. I, I remember that, too. And, hey, the other thing is, the other every bowl game I watched had the team's Logos in either end zone. Okay, well, that that's a good thing. Uh, it might have been for the smaller bowls that that was that was not a thing. But I do think, Paul, you're right. For the bigger bowls, that was the case. Well, I even watched some of the smaller ones, and they they definitely had the lo- both end zones painted the, the colors of the teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I. Th- uh, Paul, I think we're going to have to let you go. We, yeah, Paul, we, we do got have coach. coach on the line. We, we got, got to coach. go. Thanks for calling.
All right, let's quickly get to uh, Coach Chris Pendleton. Coach, thanks for joining us today. I know you're a busy man with a huge meet coming up on Friday. How's everything going, Coach? Oh, you know, 48 hours out, so a lot of <laughs> nerves, a lot of stress, and a lot of uh, last-minute preparations. But the best part of what these is, you know, we have a, a really big crowd that's going to be coming. Uh, we have a, an amazing team, the defending national t uh, champions, and a great job, a great opportunity to showcase Oregon State Wrestling to uh, the community. What's the checklist, Coach uh, Coach Chris Pendleton of Oregon State Wrestling here on the Joe Beaver Show? Coach, this is TJ Matthewson alongside John. What's the checklist of things you got to get ready there at Gill Coliseum for a match to, like you said, showcase this event coming up on Friday? Oh, that's a huge question. I mean, when you kind of look at something, you think it sounds so simple, but when you start looking at tickets, uh, marketing, advertising, revenue sales, facilities, and then let alone just getting your team ready, there's a lot of different pots that you got to kind of have your hand in. And luckily, the, the, the support staff here at Oregon State is, uh, you know, top-notch, A-plus people that go above and beyond just trying to help make the um, experience special for the student-athletes and the fans. Do you let them do that and you just worry about the team, or do you kind of check in, hey, how are we doing, how many tickets have we sold, how much do you get involved in the that aspect of preparing for each meet? Um, you know, as, a, as a, uh, the years have gone by, uh, a little bit less and less, uh, you know, I think... Um, the previous year, just kind of having a vision with that Oklahoma State match and letting people understand the vision and see the vision. I think that they've done an amazing job executing it. Um, I can tell you right now, uh, from a facility and from most of it, I, we we have not been that hands-on with it. They, they do an amazing job here. Absolutely. Coach Chris Pendleton, Oregon State Wrestling, joining us on the Joe Beaver Show. So with that, it takes me, just facilities-wise, to my – I have two questions on that. One – are you going to do the raised single circle mat for this particular event? Oh, yeah. Yep. Everything is still going to be the same. We got the raised mat. We got the special premium seating. We got um, band cheerleaders. Uh, we're pulling out all the stops. Awesome. Machine. It's going to be fun. It's, uh, I don't know for uh, anybody that wasn't there last year. Um, I've had this a whole year of people telling me how much they had a, an amazing experience. And I can tell you that this one's going to be a little bit better, a little bit more special. So I hope everybody comes on out. Okay. Okay. I have to ask this question. I just thought of it. Prior to getting you on, and we know you needed a few extra minutes, TJ here is doing the color. He's going to, or, or the doing PA. the PA. Yeah. <laughs> so does that mean he, does that mean TJ's going to be standing in the on the mat with the thing that comes down and he yells into it? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Is that, is that what PA is, is for wrestling? I, I think it does mean that. I think he's going to be wearing a singlet as well. <laughs> <laughs> Looks uh, like i got to okay. spend the rest. I can't eat the rest of the week. i got to cut down a little bit. I, I'm going to have some fun with this for the rest of the week. Thank oh, you boy. for that, that nugget, <laughs> Coach Chris Pendleton. That is fantastic. The other question is, where are you now on uh, ticket sales? Uh, you know, honestly, it's kind of one of those deals that um, uh, I like to get a little bit of sleep at night, so I told everybody to stop telling me. Oh, um, good. I would guess we're probably around that 6,000 range, so okay. still a lot of time. Um, and I know last year we had a lot of uh, walk-up traffic, so things that I just recommend to people is, you know, the best feeling in the world for uh, 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 
a promoter is having to turn people away. So I hope everybody comes and no one gets turned away. Uh, I think you'll get a really good walk-up crowd. I'm glad that the timing worked out that we could get you on because we haven't really been able to get you on yet this year. You've been busy. We've been busy. We've got a lot of stuff going on with with uh, you know the whole pack two and, and all of that. So this is perfect timing to get you on. We're going to get one of your wrestlers on as well. Um, so let's talk about your team. Ranked 12th and looking back at your schedule, you had... I guess one of the best years you've had in your four years here. Um, yeah, I mean, there's been some ups and downs, a lot of new faces in the lineup. We've uh, continued our kind of our philosophy of wrestling the best people that we possibly can uh, wrestle and traveling wherever we need to go. And when you look at the teams that we face, the Iowa's, the North Carolina's, Virginia Tech's, you know, you're, you're hitting some of the elite of the elite. And we've been fortunate enough to have some wins against some of them and some really informative losses. And, I think one of the strengths of the program and the, of the coaches and the athletes is our second end of the year push where we get a lot of data. We get a lot of uh, information uh, against the elite people. And then we turn around and we analyze where our weaknesses are, where our strengths are, and how do we get better. Coach Chris Pendleton joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. You, you mentioned the, 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 some of the lessons you learned. I, I just want to the, highlight the, the duel you guys had with Iowa. What do you take away from something like that on the road in that environment and then bringing that like, hey, this is what we learned here and what we'll bring here to Friday? Um, when you wrestle in a place like Carver Hawkeye Arena, that you know, 16,000-person uh, pit, I, I kind of... Somebody asked me what it's like wrestling, and I was like, well, it depends on how old you are. Um, if you remember the old Mel Gibson movies, it's like pretty much the Thunderdome yeah, <laughs> in college yeah. athletics. Um, and it shows a lot about who you really are as a, as a competitor. If you're going to you know, let the moment get a little too big for you, if you're going to stand up and bite your lip and get tough and, and, and get in the fight. And I think across the board, we had guys that just got tough and got in the fight. And it was a hostile crowd, a great team. But I think that we put a lot of points on the board and show that we're right there with them. Coach Chris, Chris Pendleton joining us here uh, on the Joe Beaver Show. Let's talk about the, your transfer, uh, uh, Travis Whitley coming from Oklahoma State and uh, a native of the state of Oregon. When we've talked to you about building this program, is Travis not like he is he is he not the premier example of the kind of guy that you're trying to keep here in the Northwest and build that premier program? No, that's a great question. You know, it is one of the things that you do need to get the, the local kids to stay home. Um, I was at, actually at Arizona State when Travis decided to leave the state of Oregon. I was recruiting him very hard because, you know, he's a world medalist, great kid, great family. And, you know, he went to my alma mater, and I kind of got to watch his career there. And, uh, you know, it, this was one of those little weird coincidences. Uh, summertime, um, he thought he was done and, and kind of started feeling the itch to get back and compete again and wanted to come back and wrestle in front of his friends and family. So he is a, he's been a lightning rod for us. He's been growing leaps and bounds. It's been really fun getting to know him as a person and uh, see what kind of makes him tick as a competitor. And I still think that we have a good solid three and a half months to kind of keep chipping away and, and knocking a little bit of the rust off, finding back, finding who he really is as a, as an athlete and uh, just that end of the year push. What's it like for you as a coach taking a transfer who's as successful as Travis has been? How much are you still teaching him? How much are you letting him as, uh, as one of the older wrestlers on your team do his own thing and, and operate for how he does? 
Uh, you know, he's a Ferrari. So, you know, we're all coaches are all mechanics. We're bringing him in the shop. I don't have to rebuild anything. I just got to do a lot of tune-ups and just kind of shine him up a little bit and, you know, just really helping him just find the love of the sport and making him just have a good time and enjoy it. I think a lot of time with transfers is, you know, everybody leaves for one reason or the other. And a lot of times with these fifth year guys, six year guys, it's just kind of just finding out why they want to do this, why they want to be here, why they want to kind of go put their bodies and minds to this, uh, this, uh, <laughs> grind. And it's been really fun getting to watch him smile, get to watch him connect with the teammates. I like kind of messing with some of my young Oregon kids in the room because when, you know, Travis was a senior in high school. Some of them were in junior high, almost elementary school. So they look at him like a, a living legend. <laughs> but he is from Oregon, Marshfield High School down in uh, in Coos Bay, and and he is uh, an Oregonian before going. So he's kind of coming home. And you've got some kids, a great program right here in Corvallis at Crescent Valley High School. Is this a good time period right now for wrestling in the state of Oregon? You know, wrestling in the state of Oregon and the Pacific Northwest has always been growing. I mean, it's, it's, it's on the collegiate level. You know, we don't, we're only we're down to one program, but in the high school and elementary school, there's you know thousands and thousands of kids participating in mm-hmm. sport and growing. And there's a lot of real talent here. Now, the challenge has been keeping the talent home, and as we continue to uh, grow the program and become a little more successful and show kids that they can achieve their athletic and academic uh, goals, it becomes a little bit easier to uh, talk them into staying. We've read about uh, the deals that are going on, all of that. We, we've just been through the gauntlet, it seems, as a fan base and, and as a school when it comes to the whole uh, d- demise of the Pac-12 and all the major sports. You've had a different kind of Pac-12 uh, in wrestling for a number of years, but I, don't, I couldn't find anywhere. What is wrestling? I know I, I think baseball is going to go independent, but what is wrestling going to do in these next two years? You know, that's a good question. Uh, we have a lot of different options. And, you know, one of the things that kind of set us apart from some of the other sports is we're not relying on a conference schedule as far as getting the best competition. When you really look at it, when you're wrestling the Oklahoma States and the Iowas and the Penn States and um, the, the North Carolinas and Virginia Techs, I mean, you're talking about Big Ten teams. Big 12 teams, ACC teams, on top of wrestling in some of the toughest tournaments, uh, the invitationals across the nation, we're wrestling the top competition. Yeah. Uh, right now, we have a lot of different options uh, as far as uh, moving forward with our conference schedule um, and what we're going to be doing as far as get, uh, qualifying for the NCAA tournament. Um, but the best thing I can say is, uh, you know, I stopped really paying attention to Twitter and reading things on, on yeah. the website. When, when Scott Barnes tells me what we're going to do, then I just listen. Outside of that, I really kind of just focus on the team and the athletes. Coach Chris Pendleton of Oregon State Wrestling joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. What is it that you can take away from facing Penn State two years in a row and seeing what they do as a program to be as successful as they are and what you feel like you can replicate to your program here? See, that's, a, that's a, a good, another really good question. And one of the things that Penn State does is they're very innovative. Um, when you see what they do, the next year they might not be, they might be doing something completely different. And I think a lot of times in sports, and especially with coaches, is we get very set on our systems and our ways. And when I look at them, I always kind of pay attention to not what they're doing, but I'm trying to guess what they're thinking that the next wave of uh, innovation is going to be and try to replicate that. What is innovation in wrestling? 
Oh, it can be a, a lot of different things between your periodization, between your recovery, between your nutrition, between your, your training plan, your technique, uh, your mental philosophy, a lot of different moving parts on that. What's your favorite part of all that? What, 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 what do you think sticks out to you the most as a coach as, as something you see as the most important? Um, you know, your brain's always going to be your strongest weapon by far. And that's just uh, never going to change. Um, what's really started getting me the past couple of years is starting to kind of take out a little bit of the guesswork on, on the body. Um, because I think that that's probably one of the things that coaches can control the most. And in wrestling, it's so important having the proper nutrition, weight cut, recovery, that we really want to try to take that guesswork out because that's science. That's, that's actually something by the numbers. You know, the brain, that's just something that we got to crawl up in, uh, in the head and, and see where they're at. That's always going to be the, the, the big mystery on athletes. That's, that's what you're never going to solve that. But the body, you can, that's, a little, that's a, a problem that you can solve, and you can start understanding what we're putting in, calorie in, calorie out, what the periodization plan looks like, what the recovery looks like, why are their heart rates elevated, why is there resting the heart, uh, HDR, a uh, certain thing. Um, so that's where actually I, I kind of geek out, and when I'm up at 3 in the morning, you'll easily catch me listening to a podcast or reading about it. Is there, is there something on the mental side you're, like, dying to explore that you think could give you guys an edge? Um, you know, not really uh, right now. Our, 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 our ment- uh, mentality uh, changes as the course of the season goes on. Right now, our, our mentality is actually about as simple as it comes. It's just about getting better, um, even... Yesterday, even though we have a um, a really tough match on Friday, um, we're not working on things specific to Penn State. We're working on things specific to our team and the individual and how we get better in those areas. Because mm-hmm. if we are constantly just focusing on competition, we're never going to have those incremental growth to get better to start uh, developing as uh, people and as wrestlers. Coach, last two things. Uh, the coaching fraternity and the wrestling community as a whole is a pretty tight-knit group. Do you have a, a history other than working together on scheduling each other and competing against each other, but do you have a history at all with Coach Sanderson? Um, no, honestly. Um, it, it, funny story, uh, uh, them wrestling us came down to a game of um, um, horse and the Pan Am Championships a couple years ago <laughs> where one of our assistant coaches, uh, Nate Angle, was down there and um, was playing them, and um, he just kind of, a little bit of smack talking happened, and it was like, okay, well, if I make this shot, we're going to wrestle, you know. But one of the things I will always just kind of tip my cap to the Penn State and their coaching is they understand the the, the value that they bring when they travel. So they are very um, meticulous about making sure they're going to areas and letting people, you know, experience uh, high level wrestling. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that, and and it adds it adds a question, and that is. Football is is something we think about. Football is different than every other sport because the number of people you're moving to one place to another, it'll be like, well, we don't recruit out there, so we don't need to go. Um, also, we can go to uh, you know a hundred different places that are within a bus ride, and in moving, the, the that is what that is. Football, whereas basketball, baseball, smaller groups, you can go to tournaments and all, just like wrestling, you can go all over the country. It's it's not a big deal. So for a number one team like and a number one program like a Penn State, is it hard to get them to leave their facility? Like you said, you just said they want to because they want to showcase themselves. But 
Is it hard? Would it, is it hard to get them? I know you had Oklahoma State out here last year to come all the way over to Corvallis. Um. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it, it is hard and uh, not hard um, right now. Uh, we don't really. We're still kind of recovering from our, our COVID scheduling, um, mm-hmm. where we got the home and away. So we've been having really heavy home years and really light uh, light home years. Uh, hopefully next year we can rectify it and have more of a little bit balanced schedule. But for the most part, uh, scheduling is just relationships. And if you have a good team and they have a good product, you're going to attract good teams and good products that want to come out and uh, scrap with you. Awesome. Coach, best of luck to you on Friday. We'll get we'll talk more about it, get the fans to get out there and fill in those uh, remaining 3,000 seats, and you'll sh- uh, sh- certainly get some great walk-up. Friday night, have a great time. Thanks for joining us on the show today. All right, thank you. All right, there you go. That's uh, Chris Pendleton joining us. Uh, number one ranked Penn State coming in. The Beavers are ranked 12. Eight out of ten Beaver wrestlers are, are ranked in the top 25 individually. Uh, but Penn State has loaded themselves. In fact, I'm just looking at at some of the uh, the research that I did. They beat OSU 32 to seven in uh, uh, over in the in College Station to, in 22, 31 to three last year. Also over there, uh, they have uh, seven Nittany Lions ranked in the top four. That's impressive. Two reigning national champions and yeah. two more runner ups. So if you want to see the best come out on Friday night going up against wanting to be the best and very close at number 12. This could be a year um, that Oregon State finishes in the top 10 mm-hmm. at the Nationals. And, and the Beavers are also hosting the Pac-12s March 10th, and then Nationals are later on. I mean, don't underestimate the impact of a crowd. I and mean, Chris was saying how much that Iowa crowd impacted them when they went there on the oh, road yeah. earlier this season. It's tough. Oh, yeah. They they can pack 16,000 in there. Oh, they're not going to have 16,000 in Gill this upcoming Friday, but no, if they, they can, can get 9,000, yeah. it can be eight or 9,000 great fans. All right, let's wrap it up here right after this. All right, TJ, we have 30 seconds. Um, Alan Thayer will join us at 12.05. Mm-hmm. We'll be very busy back-to-back. Great conversation with Chris Pendleton, Oregon State Wrestling. And we are aiming for Travis Whitlake at 12.30. Not confirmed yet, but we are aiming. All right, so uh, if we can get him, that would be fantastic. Uh, he's, uh, you know, the big name. One of the big names uh, on the uh, team this year, but coming back through the portal. All right, got another hour to go. Time to enter the Magic Kingdom. Denise, would you kindly clear the wheels? Okay, here we go. On three. One, two. Tweets and texts, faces and books. Tweets and texts and faces and books. Seems like it's more about FM and color TV. In such an age as this, is there any room left for something as simple as radio? We believe there is. Touchdown, Beaver! He's got a chance to go! 20, 15, 10, 5! Touchdown, Beaver! Back in the end zone! Caught! Touchdown, Beavers! The Joe Beaver Show is on the air with Mike Parker and John Warren. Two men on a mission to prove that AM radio is a viable and modern source for news and entertainment. So gather the whole family. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. If you don't have one, fret not. I'll have the management send you up a radio. Be a part of the triumphant return of amplitude modulation. This is the big one, boys. This is the one that brings us back. Soon, AM radio will reign king once more. <laughs> it's the Joe Beaver Show on the home of the beavers. Cool, cool beat, beat. Kill it!
1240 Joe Radio. <laughs> I was just reading a, a text. It was uh, State College. Yeah, State College. Yeah, college not, Station. You write two different yeah. things. And I was remembering that from, from Carrie's article. And and uh, if I had to sit down with a pencil, a number two pencil, and fill in the bubbles, I could get all of those. But on the fly here, wrapping things up, I said the wrong one. Um because my brain re- went back to that. But anyway, thanks for that text and others. And speaking of text, we invite you to text in if you have questions for Alan Thayer. Um, we're just kind of wrapping things up. We love Alan. We want to get him on whenever things come up. But this may be the last one for a while just because things have wrapped up, which is my first question, which we'll get to when we bring in Alan Thayer, who is a lawyer extraordinaire. Now, let me give you your, your due, Alan. Alan Thayer from Innovative Law Group in Eugene, specializing in business law. And according to your daughter's calculations, this is like your 12th or 13th visit on this program. Is that right? Uh, Yes, that's what I'm told. (laughs) You know, every time we had you, including the time that we called out for you and it wasn't set up previous, we needed you because that's how hot and heavy things were with that litigation at the beginning of this year. And things have changed dramatically over the last couple of months. And you've been along for the ride, giving us great information, so we really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on again today to wrap it up. Oh, happy to be here. Absolutely. All right, let's start with and uh, a caller or a texter or, or Mike. We're sitting here going back and forth. I'm looking at Mike. He's looking at me. Someone says, is, is that it? What, is everything done now? And we thought, let's get Alan on because there's more questions than that especially with damages. I'll get to that in a bit. But with the conclusion of the two sides coming to an agreement, as I hold up air quotes, is everything done? Well, when I was in college, a group of friends and I, we used to have an an expression that it's never over. Yeah. Um, And there probably will be a little bit about that. But as to the settlement, it's not over yet. Uh, from my interpretation of what was announced, the parties had reached an agreement in principle and on certain key issues, uh, but they still had to draft up the final settlement agreement. And that process can take days to weeks to more weeks. And, uh, and at this and point, we don't we know, know what it that is. Has, at, sorry, funny. sorry. At this point, we don't know what that settlement is. We don't know what's in the deal, right? That's correct. We yeah, don't. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, once the, once it is signed by everybody, that is likely to be announced as well. Uh, then there'll be a question of whether that agreement is public or not. I hope it is. I would like to see it. There are some questions that I have. And once the agreement is signed, fully executed, then they will dismiss the current pending case that's in Whitman County. But until until the agreement has been signed, until a, a dismissal has been filed in the Whitman County Circuit Court, the case continues, at least as far as the court is concerned. Alan Thayer joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. Alan, this is TJ alongside John. When you say you'd be curious to see that agreement, there's some things you're looking for in there. What are you looking for? 
you know, I guess it's the terms of the terms of the deal. There are when you think about the conference and its assets and its liabilities, there are lots of questions. There are some substantial potential liabilities out there as we've talked about. Uh, it was good to hear that there that the parties have agreed that uh, the exiting schools will will guarantee their obligations on that. It'd be nice to see if it's a hundred percent guarantee or they'll pay up to a certain amount if there's limits on that. Um, it would be nice to know how much they are leaving on the table from current revenue because that was reported that they that some percentage will remain in the conference from current revenue. We'd like to know where that is. The one of the assets of the conference is is the um, intellectual property rights to all of the the video recordings that have been made by the Pac-12 and its TV network. What happens to that if uh, UCLA wants to use clips from games uh, from this year or prior years? Uh, is there a process set out by which they they can do so, and will the will the conference, as it remains, will receive royalties for those um, now for use of that intellectual property? Interesting. So they have to. So if UCLA were to show highlights from last season in their 2024 opener next season, they would need permission to use those. I believe so. Yes. Well, that's not even something I thought about. Or what about just attribution? Yeah. You know, at the uh, at the end of every game, there's this little blurb that goes about who who the rights to the game belong to. Mm-hmm. And I believe I believe the games broadcast by the Pac-12 network belong to the Pac-12 conference, unless this agreement says something else. Mm. Do we know what the assets and liabilities are? I uh, I intend at some point to do my best to add up uh, what we know about. In terms of the assets where people have been focusing on, that's a little easier. Uh, I think people are well aware of the, the NCAA basketball tournament shares that will remain in the conference, and those are going to be substantial over the next, uh, well, actually six years. Uh, this year, we want the Pac-12 teams to go as deep into the NCAA conference as they can because we get the money for that. Uh, it may be less well-known, but there is money coming to the conference uh, as part of the termination of the conference's deal with the Rose Bowl mm. so that the Rose Bowl is now part of the college football playoff system. So that's, uh, that's an asset. When people talk about the college football playoff, there's a lot of discussion about the shares that go to the participants in the college football playoff. This year, the four participants. Next year, the 12 participants. But more lucrative than that are the profit distributions from the college football playoff. As currently configured, there are five owners of the college football playoff limited liability company. And each of them share equally in the profits 
from the college football playoff. Okay, so does that mean that the Pac-12, now the Pac-2, but Pac-12 by name, remains on that for two years and gets to share as one of five in the distribution of the CFP? I believe that is correct. And the money that comes to us is split by two? I believe that is correct. And how much is that? There's there's been a lot of discussion about changing that. However, it is reported that the articles of organization for the college football playoff limited liability company require that any changes be uh, by unanimous consent. And and Kirk Schultz is one of the voters, right? Mm -hmm. We are very fortunate that this all happened while Kirk Schultz was president of the the Pac-12 board and while he was the Pac-12's representative on the college football uh, playoff board. For those who don't know, uh, uh, Schultz, of course, is the president of Washington State University. Now, Alan, when the two years are up and the Beavers and Cougars lose their quote-unquote power status as a conference, do they still own a part of the playoff? Is there a stipulation in that? I don't know. That's to be seen. But there's, there's one point we haven't covered yet, and that is next year, next year the profits, or next year the college football playoff expands from four teams to 12 teams. Presumably, the profits of a 12-team playoff will be greater than the profits from a four-team playoff. The, the current payoff profit distributions from the college football playoff have been reported to be in the range of $40 million. It has also been, been talked about, okay, if you have 12 teams, that's going to be more. How much more? I think we all remembered when Immaculate on the, what's that, uh, hooked on? Locked uh, on Big 12. 12. Yeah. When Immaculate was saying, oh, that's going to be $300 million. Well, I don't know if it's going to be $300 million, but presumably it's going to be more than $40 million. Mm-hmm. That is a significant asset. And the Beavers and Cougars are part of it. They'll split it. Do we know, because... Throughout the whole litigation process and having you on these 12 times, it's been guessed and it's been different numbers have been thrown around. 100 million to share, to 500 million, 400 million. Now that the settlement's been reached, has it been discussed as to what, what it actually is? I've seen 67 million as the, as the last number that I saw. And I thought, well, that's a far cry from two or 300 million that we were discussing before. Yes, it's uh, yeah, it's got to be more than sixty-seven million. I I will tell you that right now. Most of the tallies include some of the some of the individual components, not not other components of it. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. I uh, I have uh, talked to a reliable source who talked to somebody in the know. And, um, yeah, I think it's uh, well within the hundreds of millions of dollars. Alan Thayer joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show, Innovative Law Group in Eugene. 
so Alan, texter question here. Now that this is all settled, what are the chances the Pac-2 goes after ESPN or Fox? How realistic is that? That's a great question. That's a great question. I, I suspect they wouldn't do that until they had some sort of an alternate media deal with someone else. Uh, Presumably not with one of those two. Pardon me? Presumably not with one of those two because you're not going to sue the person paying you. Exactly. Yeah. And you're not going to sue the person who you're trying to cut a deal with. Right. Right. Okay, so what about, and this one is interesting, it kind of prompted the whole reason for having you on really at the beginning, and that is damages. We're hearing stories of players being told by outsiders, you guys aren't even going to have an athletic department. And some may have gone running to the transfer portal based off of that, not really waiting around to find out the truth. And to me, not to mention just that alone is bad enough, but leading up to it, everything that has happened in the news these last six months to a year, that has hurt Oregon State and Washington State from doing business as usual. And there must be provisions in the law that says that you cannot impede another business from doing business. Collusion, whatever it might be, it might be outside of collusion. It might just be you you can't do what's happening to Oregon State. Is there anything there? Oh, oh, I think there may very well be there. There is an element in the law called uh, business torts, so a tort is like negligence, uh, um, assault, uh, trespass. Those are called torts. Uh, but there's an area in, in the business called business torts. And that includes a number of, of causes of action in the unfair competition realm. And there may very well be claims in, in that regard. Um, and it will be interesting to see how that pay, uh, plays out. But would love, would love to have Oregon State or Washington State or some other university call out those that are recruiting by telling untruths to uh, to current players or to potential recruits. If the they, current players are here are hearing that, just imagine what the recruits are hearing. Right, right. And if they can pin it down, because right now it could be anything, but there could be emails to that effect from um, from another school to a recruit. There could be, uh, you know, texts or anything like that, and which would come out in some kind of litigation, obviously. So there could be some hard evidence of that coming out, not just the rumors by the players, right? Oh, absolutely. And, but there even could be... Uh, Brave players who would come forward and give uh, oral testimony. It says, I talked to Coach X at Program Y, mm-hmm. and this is what he told me. Alan Thayer joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. Uh, would it make more sense, Alan? This is a different text or question, but this is directly playing off the first one I asked. Would it make more sense for the Beavs and the Cougs to wait for other schools to get cast aside? to attempt a lawsuit, to have a little more financial backing and a little more more of a case than just Cla- two schools. More class, more, action. More class action, yeah. Uh, maybe. And the reason why I say maybe is there is also a statute of limitations to these types of cases. 
And if it's a two-year statute of limitations, well, every year that goes by, then you are mm-hmm. are excluding possible wrongs from being part of that suit. The college athletics seems to be changing at an ever-increasing rate. Uh, I don't know if I imagine you all have talked about the Florida State lawsuit against uh, right. the ACC and how that may disrupt things. And it's been reported that Oregon State and Washington State is following that case closely. Uh, things are changing very quickly. And it makes sense to wait at least a little while to find out what the, what the lay of the land is uh, before taking any action like that. There are various uh, statute of limitations. The largest, stat- longest statute of limitations is typically for contract cases, which is typically six years. But some of the, the torts, which I mentioned, those are more in the line of a two-year statute of limitations. Hmm. Have you looked into that Florida State cases at all? I mean, I really do think that is going to have a direct impact on the future of what Washington State and Oregon State are going to have to deal with. Have you read anything about that? How realistic is it that they can actually win that case? So I've only read some media reports. I've, I've not yet looked at the court file, but uh, I imagine that if, uh, if I get a couple of other things done first that are uh, on my on my workload, I imagine I probably will take a peek at that. All right, so I have a question for both of you. Um, I thought that really the only part of that, was, the only thing about that was them trying to get out of this exorbitant uh, exit fee. Is it more than that? What is that case that would then perhaps involve, or at least Oregon State and Washington State would watch it for? Well, I think the first thing they watch it for is the impact on the ACC, what happens there. Right. Uh, And I imagine Florida State, if they get a favorable ruling, then Clemson will be the next one to to join them in exiting the ACC. Which would then collapse like the Pac-12 did. It could. In theory. And then your mark, apparently, according to these YouTubers, working on a conference that would be the Big 12, the ACC, and then the Beavers and Cougars as a 30-team super conference with ACC teams uh, comprising of 10 and then the Big 12 comprising of 10 and then and, and also the 10 over here of the, the old Pac-12 along with the Beavers and Cougars. I don't know if, how much validity there is to that. It sounds exciting. So the question to you then would be, would the Cougars and Beavers basically be knocking on the door, standing out on, on, on the front porch, holding a bag of cash, saying, uh, we bring this with us. Well, I think that the attraction of the Pac-12 under that scenario is that um, certainly for Cal and Stanford, that they don't have to travel across the country to play games. Yeah. Uh, the four corner schools, they're a little closer to Big 12 territory. That may be less of an issue for them, mm-hmm. but uh, would love to have them back. Certainly, not only does the Pac-12 have a bag of cash, but when valuing businesses, there's something called going value. 
the fact that you have a business up and running and it's going, there is value to that as opposed to starting a business from scratch. Mm-hmm. Makes it sense. has branding. It has yeah. relations. I mean, you could just kind of go through all the assets that it has. Well, I got to yeah. this one in because we've got Travis Whitley coming up. I know we've got more we could talk about, um, but we are out of time, Alan. I'm going to give Dave a, ch- a shot here because he texted a question, and it's kind of a good one to wrap things up. Um, what conference governance changes would you recommend, including the headwaters venue, voting rights, dissolution, et cetera? Oh, I think that's a big question that would uh, take some time to prepare for. But mm-hmm. also, I mean, that, that could be a long discussion. Sure. But, but it, is, um, it is worth noting that the other conferences have been certainly going to school on what's happened with the Pac-12, and I think they're going to be making changes to their bylaws as a part of this. And at the very first uh, hearing, the TRO hearing, Judge Bybee started off by saying, the reason why you guys are here before me is because you didn't spell these things out in your agreement. Well, we did, but the Wretched Ten ridiculously thought that we didn't. Well, I think there's more things that, that could be, for example, uh, they would have a choice of venue clause. Okay, if there is going to be a suit, in what state and what county is that suit to be brought in? Mm. Because that was not set out in the Pac-12 agreements, uh, that is why it could be be brought before Judge Vibey. And, oh, by the way, he did a great job. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of criticism. Oh, they just went to the judge closest to Washington State. He did a great job, uh, and the, the Washington Supreme Court did not find any obvious errors with which to say, yeah, we want to hear this case so we can possibly reverse it. Yeah, they that was not. a good statement. That was a good statement for him, uh, whether or not it was meant to be, that uh, he, did, he did a good job. You know, he had a folksy manner, uh, which is different than what you see from possibly judges in uh, big courts and big counties and big cities and big states. But if I were a, a party in a lawsuit, mm-hmm. boy, I'd want him judging my case instead of some of the, some of the other folks that uh, you hear about in other places. By the way, the judges in Lane County, Oregon, are fantastic. I gotta, I've got to say that. That's where I practice. Well, what, a, well, what about uh, Lynn County, where we sit, and Benton County, where I live? <laughs> Not as familiar with those courts, but uh, I suspect that they, too, have very common-sense, practical-type Yes, yes. Well, it was good to get that plug in for Lane County. Alan, we got to go. Thank you so much. This isn't the end. We keep you on retainer for uh, just for famous purposes only, not for any cash. <laughs> you are a beaver 1981 graduate so we really appreciate everything and it's been fun getting to know you and and everything it's not over we've got lots to talk about but uh for now it's uh it's kind of wrapping some of the major points up and we really appreciate your time uh, i'll let you know when we uh if and when we see the final agreement perfect sounds good thank you alan take care that's well, alan alan thayer from uh Innovative Law Group in Eugene, specializing in business law. 
And uh, that was good. Do you remember what he said? I had to, I don't know, I got distracted or something to my question about how much is left, how much is there? Available? He said, said hundreds. More, he more than, uh, more than 60 seconds, There are right? three digits in the millions. Thank you. That's what I was hoping to hear. Yeah. Which is I, what they I need. I just heard him say, well, there's a lot more than 67 million. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we got a break. We'll come back with Travis Whitlake from the Wrestling Squad, an interview we, we secured, well, TJ did, uh, while we were on the show today. He's next on 1240 Joe Radio. All right, we do not want to wait, uh, have our, our next guest waiting any longer. We welcome Travis Whitlake into the uh, program here on the Joe Beaver Show. Our first day really covering wrestling to the amount that we have. We had Coach Chris Pendleton on uh, in the last hour. Travis, uh, who is a senior on this year's wrestling squad. Travis, welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. Thanks for coming on with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Travis, congratulations, first of all, coming back to Oregon State after your excellent career at Oklahoma State. This is TJ alongside John here on the Joe Beaver Show. Travis, like, let's just start. So this Friday, as a wrestler, like, how do you contextualize getting to have a number one team in your building? What's the feeling like for you? Um, I think mainly just excitement. Um, you know, it, it's not often that we um, get to compete against the number one team, so... Um, you know, it's, it's really motivating. It's really exciting. And, and, um, I think just having the opportunity to have a big crowd and, and really showcase what college wrestling is, is, um, is going to be great. Um, you know, in a, in a dual format, you know, it's, it's one team versus one team and it's, it's one weight versus one weight. So, I mean, it's kind of a one-on-one atmosphere and, and, um, you know, the crowd can get into it and that's what makes duels fun. You know, ironically enough, you you wrestled for Oklahoma State, which is a blue blood program with a lot of history. I was looking back at all the national championships going back to the 20s, and there was a run of Oklahoma State, uh, just like Penn State is on right now, 10 out of the last 12. So when you were wrestling with the other OSU, you you experienced being that, that circus, that team coming in that everybody was watching, including here in Corvallis last year. Uh, it was a huge deal to get Oklahoma State to come out here. So you've seen it from both sides, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I have. And, you know, yeah, like you said, I went to Oklahoma State uh, High School, and, um, you know, that was great. I, I did get to experience a lot. I got to see a lot. And um, I started for four years for them. And so um, I was on every trip, and I was wrestling in every duel. And it seemed like pretty much everywhere we went, we had the biggest crowds. Um, and so, you know, it was always fun to wrestle for them and, and, um, and fun to have those atmospheres and, and the crowds. Oregon state wrestler, Travis Whitlake joining us here on the Joe Beaver show. So uh, Travis, I just want to ask, why did you decide to come back home? What, what was the pull for you? Um, I mean, I, I really just, I didn't know if I wanted to, um, wrestle again or not. I, you know, I had, an extra year eligibility due to COVID and, and um, uh, after NCAAs last year, I kind of, I took a pretty long break about six months off from wrestling. And so, um, you know, really was just unsure about it. Wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but um, just decided that uh, it was, it was time to come home. You know, I wanted to come home and, and um, just be close to my family. And, and I'd been gone for five years in Oklahoma. And so, um, you know, it was just, it was time for me to, to be close and, and, you know, come back to my home state and, and represent them well. And once I decided to come back and, and, 
and wrestle, um, you know, that's when I gave Oregon State a call and, and, you know, just said, hey, I want to wrestle again and I want to stay home and I don't want to go back to um, Oklahoma and I don't really want to go back, go anywhere else. I'd much rather just stay here. And so um, that's when Oregon State welcomed me with opening arms. Travis Whitlake joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. Did the idea get planted in your head when you when Oklahoma State was here last year when you saw that crowd of 6,700? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if, if the idea of transferring was was um, ever in my head, but it was like when I came came back to Oregon and, and uh, wrestled in that duel last year. Um, it was like it was it was kind of mesmerizing, you know. It was it was crazy to see how many people came out to, um, you know. I felt like came out to watch me um, in in some cases, and and not, obviously not all. I mean, they, it was a great duel, and they came to watch everybody, but. I, I feel like um, I had a lot of fans there, and, and um, I had a lot of people from Oregon on my side, and a lot of people backing me from Oregon, and so um, that was something that was that was that felt good, and and um, you know it, it kind of made me want to compete for my home state again. You know, I hadn't I haven't competed for um, in Oregon since I left high school, which was in 2018, and so um, you know, yeah, that was kind of something that that caught my attention that like, Hey, I could come back. I could wrestle here. And, and, um, I think I would appreciate that for myself. And I think, you know, wrestlers of Oregon would appreciate it as well. So, um, you know, that was something that caught my attention. When you were in high school, did you feel like it was a realistic option to, to wrestle here or it, were you set on, I mean, you're set to go into one of those blue blood programs. Um, I was pretty much set on getting out of the state um, while I was in high school. You know, I, I went on a visit to Penn State as well. I, I actually verbally committed to Penn State first, um, and then I, I dropped my commitment there and ended up going to Oklahoma State instead. But, yeah, those are the two schools I was, I was mostly interested in with Penn State and Oklahoma State, and I went on a visit to both. Um, and then I kind of made my decision from there and chose Oklahoma State. But, um, yeah, I, I knew that I was going to, I was going to leave for a while and head out of state. Um, but, you know, with with Pendleton getting a head coach job at Oregon State, um, you know, things have been changing around here and, and we're headed upward. And so um, I think that's something that's, that's really motivating for people to see and it's going to bring more attention to this program. And, you know, it certainly caught my attention when, when Pendleton took over here. And so, um, you know, that was, that was a good decision for me to come back to. So you were verbally committed to one blue blood. You ended up going to another one, and now you're back here at home. What is it that you saw in those two programs that you think, when you came back here, that Coach Chris Pendleton's doing here? Um, you know, he's just—he's really—he's keeping up with the times. Um, you know, he's changing as a, as a coach all the time. He—he's, um, you know, he's not sticking to the old school ways like a lot of the older coaches are. Um, you could say he's he's evolving with the sport. I'd say so. Um, you know that's something that that's a real positive, and that's something you look for in a coach as, a, as an athlete because um, wrestling's changing all the time, and and um, the things that athletes need these days are, are changing all the time. And so um, I think that's something that Pendleton really keeps up with, and and um, he understands that you know we don't need to just train and train and train need recovery and we need to focus on our recovery and our nutrition and 
and um, not necessarily so much tearing us down, but also building us up. And so that's something that, um, you know, the coaching staff here really does well is, is um, just having a good balance of tearing down and building up and, and just helping us get better rather than um, just running us in the ground. It's interesting that you say that because uh, that he's innovative and he's always trying to learn and grow because he himself said that. We, were, we had Coach on um, about an hour ago, and one of the things that he said was that he's always thinking, especially about Penn State. I asked him about their program, and, and, and TJ asked him about similarities maybe and what they do, what do they do that you want to do, and his, his answer was basically how much they change with what they do, and we're wondering, well, what do you mean what they do? He says, well, in training purposes and new methods and new methods of different things, and he stays up at night thinking of ways to stay ahead of the game when it comes to training and, and like, everything that you just mentioned. So let me follow that up with the question. Do you, you've, you've, you, you uh, almost went there, so you, I'm sure you got close to that program enough to see how they do it and what they do. You, you wrestled at the Blue Blood Oklahoma State. Can Oregon State be close to that? Can Oregon State, way out here in the Pacific Northwest, be a top ten program on a consistent basis? Yeah, I believe they can, and and the reason is is because of that the evolution of of the coaching staff and and the changing of the ways and and um, you know I think everything we're doing is, is benefiting us and and you can see that in our results. I mean, we're constantly. Um, you know, going upward and, and getting better and better. And, and Coach Pendleton's only been here for a couple of years, so um, it's really not, I mean, he's not even close to in his prime here at Oregon State, you know. So he he's still got building to do and, um, you know, teams to build, and, and he's doing a good job of that right now. And as, as you see our results go up and up across the country, um, you know, that's when he'll be able to get better and better recruits and, and our name will be out there more. And, um, you know, just recruiting will be better. And so with better recruits, you got better teams and, and um, you know, better results. So I think that a top-10 team consistently for Oregon State is, is something that's not too far out of reach here, um, you know, in the next couple of years. Oregon State wrestler Travis Whitlake joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show for a couple more minutes. What's the difference between something an old-school coach does that, and has been doing for a while that doesn't change versus something Coach Chris Pendleton's doing instead? Well, like I mentioned already, was, was the, the training and, and recovery balance. Um, you know, some things that I experienced in, in my, my past college career here in my last couple of years and at Oklahoma State was um, we trained a lot and we didn't really recover a lot. Um, and so, I mean, I, I feel like um, we were tore down and, and kind of beat up and there was a lot of injuries and um, there was a lot of weight cutting. Um, and those were, those were things that, you know, what wrestling used to be. And, and it doesn't have to be that way anymore. It doesn't have to be this hard-nosed, crazy grind. Um, because it already is, and you don't, and the coach doesn't need to add to that. Um, wrestling is already a hard sport, and I think a, a coach needs to realize what his athletes need and and um, you know pertain to what they need. And so I think um, you know maybe the more old school ways where it's kind of my way or the highway, and we're going to do it this exact way, and this has always worked, and so why wouldn't it work now? But um, you know the newer ways is, 
is just, you know, reading your athletes better and understanding what they need and why they need it. And, and when it comes to nutrition and, and recovery and, and, you know, saunas and cold tubs and red light therapies, things like that. Um, you know, that's where wrestling's headed. That's where we're evolving to. Whereas, um, the older school ways were, were a lot different, a lot more hard nosed kind of military style. So you feel a lot healthier now? I do. I do. I feel a lot healthier. Um, I'm not cutting near as much weight, which is nice. Um, and you know, body strong and, and, um, you know, I've been healthy thus far this season. I, I don't have any injuries. And so, um, and that's something that I can't really say from my past. I, I was injured multiple times, um, at Oklahoma state. And so, um, that, since I've gotten here, I've felt great. So 40 years ago, I'm in high school and my buddy's a wrestler and he's, He's just listless every day in class. Brett, what are you doing? And then he's out running the track during school, during breaks, in a spacesuit to sweat it all off. Things have changed since then, or guys still still doing that, eating, cutting, and then and then getting weighed in and then gorging. Yeah, no, things have changed a lot since then. Um, it's, you don't see that often at all anymore. Um, usually, if someone is doing that, they're they're. Uh, they're not winning too much. Yeah. Um, and so and there's a, there's a reason for that. You know, I think people started realizing that, um, you know, cutting weight isn't always the answer, um, rather than, and go the weight you need to go mm-hmm. and, and get better. And, and then, you know, with going the weight you need to go and feeling strong and, and getting the right things in your body and just getting better at wrestling, you'll, you'll be much better off in the long run, especially for, uh, longevity purposes in your career. Awesome. Hey, thanks for taking time out for us today. Good luck on Friday and enjoy the atmosphere. They're going to do this single circle raised deal and, and the crowd will just get nuts about it and uh, have a lot of fun. Thanks for taking time for us. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate right, it. Guys. There you go. Uh, Travis Whitlake from Marshfield High School, committed to Penn State, decommitted, went to Oklahoma State, wrestled for four years, and here he is at Oregon State finishing out his career. That's such a fun story and and some of the the, the the background that you don't think about with the wrestlers. I mean, you think about the performance on the mat all the time, but notice how a lot of the, the things he said, it, it wasn't even technique on the mat. It wasn't a strategy for going after the opponent wrestler. No, it was everything but that. Yeah. yeah. It, it, and that makes all the difference in why guys are buying into Coach Chris Pendleton's vision and why I think a lot of us think he's going to be very successful here and this as this program keeps growing in the future. We'll break, come back, take your phone calls, take your uh, your texts on Alan Thayer, on Coach Pendleton, on our thoughts about bowl games that we discussed earlier, uh, how much they matter, how much they don't, uh, this kind of thing. So all of that straight ahead, 541-497-5356, back after this timeout on 1240 Joe Radio. All right, here we go. Welcome back uh, as we continue with the Joe Beaver Show, final 12 minutes. We go to the phones for reaction. Dave from Tumwater joining us. Hey, Dave. Good afternoon, fellas. Uh, a very good show, as usual. A couple of thoughts. Uh, unless I missed it along the way, I uh, thought there were a couple interesting uh, news uh, developments in the news. Uh, yesterday, Wayne Tinkle was on John Canzano's show and all but said, in fact, I think he did say, if you listen to it, that there are ongoing conversations between 10 of the schools that left 
about the prospect of them coming back to the conference in some future configuration, some unspecified point in time. And I found that uh, extremely interesting. But uh, perhaps even more noteworthy uh, is the news I saw Nick Daschle that Oregon State baseball is going to play and they're going to play an independent schedule. They're going to be the Notre Dame of big-time college baseball. And since they are, by at least one metric that I can think of, the dominant uh, college baseball team of this century. And by the way, the, the, uh, the woman yesterday said Oregon State baseball wasn't blue blood. <laughs> I don't know what you have to do to uh, achieve that status. I feel right. probably being kind to her. But uh, and I thought that's great news, and I'm already imagining what that schedule might look like. Maybe a trip to Notre Dame, having an LSU uh, come to Corvallis. They've got the money to work with, hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, and uh, I, I think the point of confusion you get there, John, is that rarely do we see the aggregate sum of all the pools of money. In fact, I've got a question for you guys. Do we not wish to have as many Pac-12 schools get into the March Madness tournament as yep. ever before because we are going to accrue the benefit of that. Unfortunately, the league's not very good this year. <laughs> so know, that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't help. And I was thinking about that very thing when he brought it up. I thought, oh, oh. But didn't he say <clears throat> it, it goes on for several more years? It right? does. It goes uh, every time you, you earn, the, you make the tournament, that's six years' worth of stuff. You get paid every year for six years. So we get, we being Washington State, Oregon State, get the payoffs from the past years of, past six years of correct. each team well, yes yeah yeah it's a it's a it's a lot of money i will say dave to your baseball point i i can't underestimate how good that good news that is that they could do that so first of all the schedule might be better than what they had before second of all yeah they're going to be on tv more now because they're Absolutely. not they're not under the pac 12s agreement for that so i have a question for both of you uh, i don't know why i don't know this but if you're playing a team that has a rights deal do you get money for that? If the Beavers played some other conference team in a mm. game next year, like let's say Purdue, well, it'll be a home game. Let's say they go on the road somewhere and they play a team that's got a rights deal. Do the Beavers get money for being on that TV at that time, Dave? Do you know? Not directly. Here's a scenario that I imagine. Uh, and play with me a little bit on this. Imagine that uh, some combination of Scott by the Pat Casey. He's in the perfect position. He's got contacts all over the country and can pull, can pull in favors, swing deals. So this one would never happen, but just play along with me. Yeah. Imagine Oregon State playing in East Lansing, a three-game baseball season. <laughs> now, they're not going to – if they even have baseball there, and I'm not sure because that other Big Ten school has baseball. I, I think Wisconsin's one that doesn't. So Oregon State wouldn't get any money unless they – Unless the agreement for them to play in East Lansing says you're going to pay us four hundred, we're going to, all expenses plus another couple hundred thousand, and that sense Oregon State gets the money indirectly. The that's how it is. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, would go to would go to Michigan. Whatever they pay you to come out there for, that's what it is. The, the big question is how many SEC teams can you get on that schedule? I mean, you're going to want to schedule as many as many as possible. Right there. The unfortunate thing with the SEC, TJ, is that every school has baseball and they have an even number of teams. Yeah. But you need to look. The Big Ten is a bigger prospect 
because not every team is going to play baseball. Uh, and there's, all, there's always going to be an off weekend, just as there was always an off weekend in Pac-12 baseball play. So you just gotta, you just gotta pencil it out. The good news about the schedule, unlike football, which seemed to take forever but really didn't, it was just the urgency was weighing on everyone. The 2025 schedule is going to be out before this month is over. So all of that anxiety we just went through with the football schedule is going to be buried, dead and buried. We can look forward to the following year. But I have two more points I want to leave you guys with this time, John. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. The people who want to, the people who want to mess with college football, it's not over yet. Stephen A. Smith, and you, and you can speak directly to this point. Stephen A. Smith this morning with the Mad Dog, not with Mad Dog Russo, Russo was on today, said they ought to move the Rose Bowl game to SoFi Stadium. Now, can you imagine? They are simply not satisfied with messing this up. And when I mean they, I'm just going to call it, it's the media, it's the Paul Feinbaums, it's the Stephen A. Smith, it's the Kirk Herbstreets, it's the Lee Corsos. These are the guys who have done it. The coaches and the athletic directors, they're simply pawns on their playbook. Dave, Dave, what was he thinking? What was his reasoning for that? I, could, I, was, I, I was exercising. It was sort of like Mike when he was uh, exercising while watching the Pop-Tarts Bowl. Yeah. By the way, remember Mike's riff yesterday about, can we go back in time to the third weekend of November, <laughs> number 10, Oregon State playing Washington, uh, eight and one chance of the yeah. college football. There's one thing Mike left off on his litany. Yeah, Oregon State was favored in that game. Yeah, that's right. That's At right. At home, favored again. What? So he left out an element. Lastly, John, I really truly appreciate how you like my idea of the fact that bowl games, most of them, have become spring games. So I have a follow-up notion there. Why not actually play a lot of these bowl games? In lieu of the spring game, now let's play a lot of these bowl games in the springtime. No, you've, you've no, gone through six no. weeks of practice. No, no, it won't work. No, you see, you overshot the runway. The you overshot the runway. I mean, you were brilliant. You were brilliant <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> and this is overshooting the runway. No, well, you're absolutely right in what the bowls have become. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. Agree. That's a great analogy. Great analogy. What if they play them week zero? No. Really? No. At the start of the season. No. Yeah, why not? Uh, just because. They're basically but, a but now it's irrelevant. Anyway. They are a reward for playing hard all season, getting a winning season. <clears throat> Excuse me, some teams get in without it, but they have to. They are a reward at the end of the year. You should, the, the bowl people, there should be requirements, Dave and, and TJ. There should be requirements. Now, if you're going to have a bowl, you have to make it special. You have to have. Something that for these kids to do, some kind of swag bag, which I'm sure they all do. There needs to be the field needs to be properly done so that that it looks good on TV, so that it matters. You have to step it up and make these good bowl games good bowl games, and most of the little ones are pretty good. I'll say that. And you have to care. And then it is a reward for playing well for the rest of your season. And yes, there will be a playoff, but there's 12 teams. Are all the other teams just going to be forgotten for having their special year and worked as hard as they did? And I'm speaking more to TJ because he, he and I just don't get along when it comes to the value of bowl games. I'm just going to say, I think there will be a lot less complaining, though, if they played them week zero. That's what I think. But we can we have a whole week of shows to yeah. talk about this. Good stuff, Dave. All right, take care, guys. All right, there you go.
I dropped my chapstick. That's a shame. Uh, um, uh, let me get, I got to get this 30 second thing in. Go and ahead. We'll time it out. We'll come right back. All right. I've got Michigan State. They got uh, Merrimack, Seton Hall, Lehigh, Ball State. They've got uh, Western Carolina, the Evansville Aces, Purdue, Fort Wayne before co- uh, conference play. So, yeah, they've got, of course, they have baseball. Michigan State. Oh. I just looked it up when he brought that up. Um, Good show, really good show. Great guest today and wrestling centric. Friday, five o'clock at Gill Coliseum. Top ranked Penn State coming to town. We'll talk about it tomorrow and Friday. We have coming up tomorrow on the program. I think we're going to get Roberto Nelson from men's basketball talking about what his specific job is. And apparently, he did very well to get some big name former Oregon State basketball players to be here on Saturday to support the team when they got that big win over Bronny James and USC and Ben Creighton, who's going to call play by play for the the game on uh, tomorrow night. In fact, mm-hmm. we're going to get him on game night, game day. We'll try. Yeah. So we'll we'll uh, we'll try and get that done. We have less than a minute. Fun show. Lots to talk about tomorrow from today. Um, Dave said something I wanted to highlight. Oh, that whole thing about Wayne Tingle. He texted Mike and, my, uh, and I yesterday personally because he was hearing that on Kinsano's show. That's a huge, like a massive piece of news right there that Wayne dropping this bomb that there's conversations with teams that are leaving about coming back already. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one had spoke to that. We're down to 10 seconds, but that's huge. That is huge, and more to come. All right, so uh, let's wrap it up for today. Again, we'll be back with you tomorrow. Thanks for all the texts and everything. Have a great day.